morning, Stonebridge. You guys awake? Good morning. All right, you are awake. Great, great. So, man, think about that. The, we're just singing the one who was and is to come, God who stands outside of time. Living in us who believe in Jesus. We look at Acts and we go, how did they do that sort of thing? The ageless one. God is living inside of them and, and we're capable of the same things today. And it gets me pumped. So let's, let's go to Acts 14. We're working our way through Acts. And um, I'm just excited. I forgot. My name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. Excited to get in the Word with you. I have some quotes to share with you before we get in there. Our lives should be lives living on mission for Jesus. It's actually harder to stay and view our day-to-day as a mission field. Please do not disregard the mission field of Boone on your way to the ends of the world. Joseph Weber. Our associate pastor said those things last week. If you didn't hear it, go back, listen to it. It was incredible. The question we're left with is how. How do we live on mission every day? How do we not disregard the mission field we're living in right now? Acts 14, we learn how to do that. Paul teaches us how to with his example. He continues his first missionary journey. And as many of us can relate to, as you've learned to do different things in your life, um, you learn them by watching other people's examples. Right. So I'm a drummer. Many of you know that. So the way that I learned to play the drum set was not by someone sitting down with me and saying, hey, you need to do this and then hit that and do that. No, I've watched people. I've observed people. I I watch YouTube videos of people. I, I watch people live. And that's how that's by and large how I've learned to drum. And many of you have learned things like that. Right. Paul's showing us an example. He's not just telling us, go and make disciples. He's not just telling us to to go and be witnesses to the ends of the world. He does it and gives us a pattern to follow. And Acts 14 is a great pattern for us to live on mission. So we're going to learn a few general things, several things in here, but a few general things about what it looks like to live on mission right where we're planted. The first thing is speaking. You got to speak about Jesus. And that's what we see in the first chunk. So let's pick up in Acts 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believe. Okay, just a minute. I want that Jesus superpower thing going on there. He spoke in such a way that many believed. I mean, Jesus, give that to me now. You know, like, wouldn't you want that? Don't miss that, okay? Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles, When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So here they are, Paul and his friends, disciples, followers of Jesus. They're now in Iconium. 
And like the previous towns that he's visited, he goes first to the hub, the synagogue. That was the hub for all of society at that time, not just the Jews. And like I said, he spoke in such a way that a great number believed. How do you do that? Want it. Want it. I want that superpower. But here's, here's what I know it is. I know that it was the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was certainly powerful content because he was bringing the good news of Jesus, the gospel. And there was power in his method. He was relating, he's relating to the culture. He was meeting the culture where they were at with the good news of Jesus. He was wise about it, as we're going to see later in this passage. But the, the important thing for us, he's living on mission by speaking. He opened his mouth about Jesus. They knew that talking about weather and about sports and how the Chiefs are going to win and go to the Super Bowl today, which they are. So if you don't know who Patrick Mahomes is, look him up. Um, anyway, way off track. But he, they knew that talking about weather, talking about sports, talking about politics wasn't enough. They knew that just living a lifestyle of, of following Jesus and loving people wasn't enough. That's good. Those things are good. Do those things. But they knew that that falls short if we don't speak about Jesus. So they spoke about Jesus. And in verse 2, it says, Unbelieving Jews just started riling everyone up. They poisoned their minds. So, verse 3, what does it say they did? They shut their big mouths about anything regarding Jesus. No, it doesn't doesn't say that at all. That's what I would want to do, I think, in that situation. I'm going to get stoned, so I'll just be quiet. No, they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Let me just break that down if you, if you didn't catch the weight of that. They remained. Persecution is they're coming their way. People's minds are poisoned against them. I'm going to get hurt physically. Most likely, I'm going to remain. See, that's what life on mission looks like. We're not done with this mission field. I'm going to remain here, and I'm going to remain here for a long time. I, you know, I would just want to be like, you know what? You know, I'll finish talking about Jesus to this, these couple people over here, and then I'm out, okay? No, they're like, no, we're going to stay here for the long haul. And then they spoke boldly for the Lord. I mean, most of us would just get timid at that point. Like, yeah, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Jesus over here when no one can hear us or see us. And I'll just be a little quieter. No, they spoke boldly for the Lord. Verse 5, finally, when they're threatened to be killed and stoned, they're like, yeah, we probably should leave or we won't even have any vocal cords to speak anymore. But, verse 7, they continued to preach the gospel. Even the threat of life itself couldn't shut them up. They didn't let discouragement. They didn't let fear. They didn't let suffering muzzle them. They said, well, if we can't speak here, we're going to speak over here. See, living on mission has to mean speaking about Jesus to other people. It has to mean that. So the question remains, when was the last time you opened up your mouth about Jesus? And let's just start at home. Let's make it simple. If you're not talking about Jesus at home, why are you talking about Jesus anywhere else? With your kids, with your spouse. I mean, think about it. 
you have dinner table prayer, maybe. You have, you have nighttime prayer with your kids, maybe. Those are good things. Those are great. But man, are you talking about Jesus with them? Are you talking about who He is and what He's done and how He's intersecting with your life? Start there with living on mission by speaking up. You know, when you walk in to our foyer, you have, you have the, this big sign that says D6. What's that mean? That means Deuteronomy 6. So in Deuteronomy 6, it's, it literally says, he says, hey, you need, to, you need to obey God's commands and you need to talk about them where? The first thing mentioned, you need to talk about them when you sit in your home. That's where you got to start. One of my friends, I love this saying of theirs. They're like, okay, kids, we're going to sit down at the table. We're going to turn off our devices. And we're going to, ha- we're going to practice the ancient art of conversation. Okay? <laughs> we're going to actually talk. Okay? Now, think about it this way. You can't have any doors of conversation in your life, whether at home or anywhere else. You can't have any doors of conversation to speak to people about Jesus if you don't have the door handle, so to speak, of just talking of conversation, right? You have to have conversation first. So at your workplace, in your, with your breaks and your lunch and other times, are you using that to talk with others? Let's, let's start there, talking, listening to other people. How about with your neighbors? You know, we had this event, Art of Neighboring, and, and I know I've pushed that book in the past. I'll push it again. It's a great book, The Art of Neighboring. But man, are you even talking to them? I mean, here they have fear of literal persecution in Acts, and it doesn't get them to shut up. But we have the fear of, of, of them not wanting to talk to us. Rejection, and that's real. We have fear of our neighbors. What, what will they think of us, our reputation? We have fear of, man, what if they're wackos? In fact, I really think they are wackos. So our perception gets in there, and they actually probably think you're a wacko too because you haven't talked to them yet. But... If you came to this Art of Neighboring event we had, if, you, if you've read that book, how are you doing? And if not, what's your next move practically? I mean, that would be great dinner table conversation today. That would be great connection group conversation. How can, we, how can we start speaking to our neighbors about Jesus? One of our youth leaders at youth conference our high schoolers went to last weekend gets this. Okay, he, he goes into the elevator after one of the main sessions. They just got taught the Bible, worshiping, much like we're doing here this morning. You get into the elevator with the kids, a bunch of random kids there too, not just like our kids. And he's like, so, how's God speaking to you during that? I mean, he's like, I'm going to speak about Jesus and we're going to talk about Jesus because this is life. This is life following Jesus. This is life on mission. Life on mission means speaking. Life on mission also means acting, doing something. Let's pick up in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. He sprang up and began walking. He acts. In verse 3, God is the one doing the miracles. Clearly, it says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. The Lord bore witness to the word of His grace by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God's the one who does miracles. Very clearly, 
Paul's just the vessel being used by God, but he acted, he did something. He didn't like get to, get to Lystra and, and go, well, you know, I'll just twiddle my thumbs here while, while I wait for God to tell me what to do here. No, he knew what to do. He knew he was supposed to talk about Jesus to people. And as he talked about Jesus with people, he did what was natural. He looked around and saw, oh, there's a crippled guy. I should probably help him and pray that God would heal him. And so he did. It was common sense stuff. You know, when, you, when at first glance you're like, well, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, you can do that. Look around. If you're being empowered by the Holy Spirit and, and have a, a heart and a mind and a lens on your life to live on mission for Jesus, you're, you're going to walk through life and you're going to see those opportunities and you're going to act. Living on mission has to mean acting. Look around you. Who needs prayer? Pray for them. Who's hurting? Who needs healing? Pray that God would heal them. Who needs help? Help them out. Be observant while you're living life on mission. Living on mission also means responding. We continue in verse 11. Here's Paul's response, or the crowd's response. And when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. I want to show you a video to give you a little context of what's happening in this culture. Because you might be like, why would they worship Paul and Barnabas? I don't quite understand that. What's going on here? So Bible Project, free online resource. You should check it out. They have incredible videos to help you in your understanding as you read the Bible. Check this one out.
So according to, according to the Bible Project, which is right on, Paul's essentially saying, hey, all other gods are powerless, even a sham. Paul's undermining their way of life. His message could be heard as a threat to the entire political order. And so they're going to realize that pretty soon in this text and turn on him. But for now, they're worshiping him because that's what they did. And Paul's response to their worship is really insightful. He responds wisely and humbly to their cultural beliefs. He says in verse 15, essentially, you know what? I'm just like you guys. Quit worshiping me. I'm just like you. He relates to them. Then he explains why the good news is good in this situation. Here's how it's good. I've got good news for you. The the God is living. All of your gods are dead. The God is living. You can worship a living God. You can have a living hope that we just sang about. And then he makes a big deal of God and his great love for them. God made you. But he's also been active from the beginning. Verse 16 and 17 says, He's given us good and gracious things leading up to Jesus coming. Paul doesn't put the focus on himself. He deflects it back onto God. He's humble here. See, living on mission has to mean responding wisely and humbly like Paul and Barnabas did. Responding wisely and humbly to our culture. Now, I want to bring this to life for you a little bit. I'm going to share with you a common cultural belief. I know this isn't the belief of everyone, but this is a common cultural belief today in America. And that's this. Gender has no meaning or purpose. It's commonly believed that gender has no meaning or purpose. So here's what you could do. And this wouldn't happen probably all in one conversation. This would be in a relationship over time. Maybe it would. But do what Paul did. You relate to them. You know, you could say something like this. I'm sure we could all relate in this way and go, you know what, it's, it's difficult in our culture to figure out what it actually means to be a man and to be a woman. What does that mean? Our culture is always shifting its definition. And, and if, if you've grown up in the church, you see what the Bible says about it and you see what the culture is saying and that's confusing. So, yeah, it's difficult. But then you do like Paul and you explain why the good news is good news. See, the good news is that God created gender. And he spelled that out in the Bible. And he spelled out how living as a female or a male is actually intended for our satisfaction. It's actually intended for our flourishing and our good when we live as God has called us to live as male and female. And all of that 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 means. And then you do like Paul. And you make a big deal of God and his great love. You know what? You go, God understands the difficulty we all have living out his plan for being male and female. But he lovingly guides us and empowers us as a perfect father and gives us each other to help in the process and gives us his word as a guide to figure it out and to live it out. Just one example of how living on mission means wisely and humbly responding to culture. Next, living on mission means perseverance. Verse 19, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead, but... When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city on the next day. He went on with Barnabas to Derbe. 
when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Verses 19 to 21, perseverance. Their deification of Paul doesn't last long and it turns into persecution. And these, these were probably the same clowns from Antioch and Iconium that were persecuting him and their friends before. And I'm sure they became convinced, someone convinced them of all that we learned about in the Bible project. Hey, this is going to affect our pocketbook. This is going to affect our way of life. The Romans might get mad at us. We better turn on them. So they turn on Paul and his friends and they stone him almost to death. What does Paul do in response? Here's what he does in verse 21. He gets up and goes to the very people that stoned him. Did you see the three towns mentioned? He goes to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Those were where those people were from that came there to stone him. Perseverance doesn't do it justice. Paul doesn't just persevere here. I couldn't find an English word to tell you what this, this means. Paul is radical, borderline insane. You almost died, dude. Now you're going to those people. Why? Why did he do this? I thought he was strategic. Now he's going back to these towns. Here's why. Because he knew that living on mission means that you do not stop until the work is done where God plants you. And where God puts you. And the work was not done. So I'm going back until the work is done there. So I can raise up some leaders. You know, I almost, I almost had the outline of this sermon be talking about radical Christianity. Here's what radical Christianity looks like. Speaking about Jesus and, and, and acting in ways to, to show Jesus to people and persevering and responding to culture, all of this. I'm like, this is what it looks like to be radical. But then I'm like, no, actually, this is what it should look like to be normal. trying to think of examples of people like this in our church who are like, you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stay where God has planted me. I'm going to stay where I know God has called me right now. And I know he's called me because this is where I'm at. He sovereignly, sovereignly placed me right here in Boone or Ogden or Dayton or wherever you're from, wherever you're living. And I, I, I couldn't, there's several people, but, but Joey and Andrea Weber, exemplify this really well. So think about it. Joey's lived here his whole life. He stayed in the very town where he didn't follow Jesus. That's kind of an understatement. I mean, for most of his life, uh, he didn't follow Jesus and did some pretty stupid things, right? So love you, Joey. It hasn't been easy. Hasn't been easy for Joey. Joey and I were friends before he was a pastor here, and I, I heard his story before he was ever here, and it, it hasn't been easy for him. His past haunts him around every corner, people and experiences and situations and locations that just are difficult because this is where he grew up, but this is where God has called him and ca- has called Andrea, and I'm sure it gets old being in the same place for a long time. We all can relate to that. 
But for them, it's beyond just sticking it out. It's something internal going on inside of them. And, and you cannot pay someone enough to do this. Okay, you might be like, I'm not a pastor. He's a pastor. Of course he has a heart for this town. Look, they have a heart for this town that I desire. Okay, I have a heart for this town, but not like, not like these two. This is borderline insanity. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to, I'm going to be radical or normal, however you want to look at it. Until the work is done, I'm not quitting. A kind of drive doesn't come from a position that comes from a heart that's convinced that God has placed me here to live on mission for Jesus and I'm not quitting until the work is done. Living on mission means perseverance. Living on mission also means making disciples. Man, I wish, I wish we had several weeks to go through this next section. So let's just eat it up. So Paul... And his friends, here they are in these towns. In verse 22, he's strengthening the souls of the disciples. He's encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Living on mission means making disciples. Jesus says in the Great Commission, uh, if you've been around church, any church, probably for a while, you've probably heard this. The Great Commission, Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen. Heart of it is go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. Great, Jesus. But how do you do that? How do you make disciples? Paul shows us here. I love this. He strengthens their souls in verse 22. I mean, there's tried and true methods to strengthening your physical body to get ripped. Right? You get swole. Is that a thing? Am I using that right? Nope. Okay. Um, to get ripped. Okay. You, you got to have a proper diet. You got to have a strict exercise plan. Maybe a trainer. You got some peers around you. You have an end goal in mind. I want my muscle to not be this big, but to be this big. Or what? I don't know how they measure these things. I clearly haven't done it. But um, reminders of why you're doing what you're doing. It's similar to strengthening souls. Paul is strengthening souls here. You've got to have a proper diet and plan to, to be in God's word. They're teaching them that. They're teaching them how do we go about worshiping God, not just through music, but as we live life. How do we go about praying? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we share Jesus with people? What do we share with them? I mean, this is how they're strengthening their souls. And Paul and Barnabas and, and, and their friends, they're, they're training them. They're their trainers. They're showing them how to do it effectively. They have peers beside them. They're learning and growing alongside them. They have an end goal. It says in here, the end goal is the kingdom of God. This, this hope of heaven with Jesus for eternity that I have. That's a living hope. That's a sure hope because of what Jesus did for me. 
and reminders of God's promises and reminders of the mission of the, the end. And reminders, hey, of Matthew 28, 19, 20, go and make disciples. But Jesus said at the end of that, surely I'm with you always. I'm with you always. Even through this, it's really hard right now. I'm with you through this. He's, they're reminding each other of this. They're strengthening their souls. They're encouraging them. In verse 22, this, this word encouragement it is like urging troops who are about to get into battle saying, hey, keep going. Don't give up. The mission is worth it. Take it from us. You know, Paul's saying, take it from me. I was almost stoned to death, but I have not given up, given up and you will probably be severely persecuted as well. Do not give up. It's tough. Which leads to the next way that he disciples them. And he, he doesn't sugarcoat truth. He says, expect hardship. Verse 22. Saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus and Paul say similar things throughout Scripture. And we don't want to hear it as Americans, but we've got to hear it. Romans eight sixteen and 17. People love this Scripture. I doubt they love the part I'm going to highlight. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Paul, Jesus, they don't pull any punches. It's going to be difficult. Why wouldn't it be difficult? It was difficult for Jesus. You're following Jesus. It's going to be hard. That's part of the discipleship process. They're not sugarcoating it. And I've said it here before, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it many more times here. And, and, and as I meet with you and talk with you and get to know you, here's the thing. Following Jesus is hard. And you need to have a theology of suffering and trials before they hit. Because when you get in those moments, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, and you just want to go, what are you doing, God? How could you do this to me? You have a theology. You have rock solid foundation and belief that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me and his rod and his staff comforts me. I mean, you have things like that in your back pocket that you just preach to yourself. Because you don't want to believe it. Your feelings are screaming something out, something else. And so you preach to yourself and you go, no, this is worth it. I'm living on mission for Jesus. He told me it was going to be hard. Why wouldn't I have trials? And it's still hard. And we still have questions. I don't want to downplay trials and suffering. It's hard. But if you're there now, Cling to hope and gather people around you to help you remember what's true. And if you're not there right now, you will be soon. Prepare yourself. As you're discipling people, making disciples of others, pre- prepare them. Don't sugarcoat things. Don't say that following Jesus is, is, all, is all fun and games. No, it's not. It is, it is fantastic. But it's hard. And that's what Paul's telling them here. He raised up leaders in verse 23. Appointed elders, it says. Elders, it's the same word uh, for pastor in the Bible. It's, it, it means spiritual leaders. 
These are the spiritual leaders of our church, of which I am one. Uh, we have an elder team that leads this church. They knew, Paul and Barnabas and his friends, they knew that each town needed local leadership to care for and lead that local church. Paul and Barnabas knew that the local church is God's heart. There's a lot of questioning of the local church today. Is that really what God's about? Where is it in the Bible? Where isn't it in the Bible? Can you read Acts and walk away and go that local church isn't on God's heart? I mean, Paul is planting local churches everywhere, appointing leaders, appointing elders, and then going to the next place and planting a local church. I mean, God is all about that. That's why we started as a church. Cornerstone Church name said, hey, you know what? We have a lot of people living in Boone coming here. We want to help you reach that community and beyond. And we know that can only be done with local elders and pastors who can really love and care for you and shepherd you and lead you well. And that's, that's by God's grace what I strive to do and what we strive to do as an elder team and as a staff here. They didn't treat picking these guys lightly either. Did you catch it? They, this included prayer and fasting. I mean, that's how weighty it was. We're going to starve to seek God's will for who these, these men should be. Jump down to verse 27. They get back to their their home church. They're sending church. And they shared stories. They shared testimonies. God's stories. That's part of discipleship. Sharing what God has done. God is a living God. We're not just talking about God. We're not just saying words. Like God is actually up to something. And so it brings encouragement. It brings motivation to keep going. Wow, this is incredible. And lastly, to disciple them, they spent time with them. Verse 28. They knew that relationships and disciple making requires time with people. It requires it. Not, not via Facebook or uh, FaceTime or phone or email or text. Like all those things are fine, whatever. But, but actual time together. Nothing can compare to that. It says that they remained there no little time. They stayed there a while. They realize that there's no shortcuts to making disciples. It requires time and hard work and, and some conflict and like getting in the trenches with people. You have to spend time together laughing and crying and sharing stories and, and playing and eating and praying. So, who are you making a disciple of? Are you doing any of these things with anyone? strengthening people in their walk with Jesus, encouraging them not to give up, sharing truth without sugarcoating it, raising up leaders, sharing how God is working in your life, spending time with people. If not, start today. It's all right. There's grace for that. There's forgiveness for that. Let's walk forward today and make some disciples and do some of these things. If you don't know who to start with, start with your kids if you have them. Someone in your connection group, a coworker, a friend, you can do this. You don't need a degree to do this. I have a master's in theology. I don't need a master's in theology to make disciples, and neither do you. Get together with someone and read the Bible. You can do that. Get together with someone and pray together. Get together with someone and share trials that are going on, and then pray for each other. I mean, you can do this. 
The last thing I want to point out is that living on mission means speaking, acting, responding, persevering, and making disciples together. I don't know if you caught it, but throughout chapter 14, it says they. Every time they go somewhere. It's not just Paul. It's not just Barnabas. It's not just Paul and Barnabas. It's they. This is a group of people walking together, living on mission for Jesus. We have to have Christ-focused community that's attractive and that's different from what the world says community is. If you're not in a connection group, join one today. I'd love to help you be a part of one. Talk to me. Fill out a little slip. Your bulletin, throw it in the offering box, throw it at me, throw it on the welcome table, put it in Joey's pocket as you leave. I don't care. Like, just talk to us. We want, we want to help you get in communities like this, and that's what we strive for as connection groups. We're not, we're not perfect in these groups. We don't pretend to be perfect, but we're worshiping the perfect one, and we need one another to do that to live on mission. So band together. You cannot live on mission without other people by your side. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us live on mission. It's hard. Everything that we saw in this chapter today is difficult to live out. So we need you. We need your Spirit. Empower us with your Holy Spirit to live for you, Jesus, as, as we walk through our daily life, as we go to our homes this afternoon or wherever you lead us this afternoon. Help us to make disciples there. Help us to speak up about Jesus. Not just, not just say we're Christians, but, but act like it. Help us to live what, what the world would view as radical Christianity, but really what what you call normal Christianity. Give us strength, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.